Um, so I, I, I want to encourage you about a couple things. First of all, resurrection is unique to Christianity. And as a matter of fact, all of the Christian belief hangs on the reality of resurrection. It hangs on. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 15, the, the Apostle Paul is writing to believers in Corinth. And, and you should read that whole chapter, maybe this week, is read 1 Corinthians 15. It's all about resurrection. He says something interesting. He says, okay, if you don't believe in resurrection, and if resurrection isn't true, then we, Christians, are a bunch of morons. No, that's my translation. That's actually not, don't search the word moron in, in the text. But he's saying we are, we are like to be pitied. You should feel sorry for us if resurrection doesn't exist, and if Jesus' resurrection didn't actually happen. It's a really, really important thing. It, it, all of our faith hangs on the reality of resurrection. Um, and so, you know, I just want to encourage you before I get into the message real quick. You... You can have, now we have a faith, right? We're called believers, not knowers, right? So we believe, but uh, you can know that your faith is a reasonable faith. It's very reasonable. It's very reasonable to believe in the resurrection. Why? Well, let, let me give you a couple of reasons. You know, Jesus appeared to several hundred people after he rose from the dead. Did you know that? He appeared uh, to, to Peter first, and we talked about that during communion. He was one of the first people, he was the first person that Jesus went to go see was Peter. And then the rest of the disciples, we saw two guys on the road to Emmaus that, that came in contact with him, right? He, he appeared to all the apostles, and at one point in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that he appeared to over 500 people at the same time. That's amazing. 500 people at the same time. He goes, most of whom are still living. Kind of as a way of saying, go ask them. You can ask them yourself. Now, what if I told you something was true? What if I told you that, that a long lost friend that you hadn't seen since high school was in town and that person had vowed, I'm never going back to Thomasville. But yet you heard me say, yeah, no, they're in town. I saw them. Would you believe it? What if three people said, no, I saw them, they're in town. Would you believe it if three people gave an eyewitness account? What about 10? What if 10 of your friends said, yeah, no, that person's in town. I saw them down downtown at Grassroots getting coffee, right? Saw them at Jonah's eating. Would you believe it? What if 50 people said, no, this person's in town. Would you believe that that person was in town? 100 what about 150? If 150 people came up to you and said, no, this person's here, 250. What if 300 people said, no, this person, would you believe them then? Over 500 people that weren't crazy, that were regular people just like you and me said, no, I saw him. I saw him. It's a reliable testimony. Well, and one of the things that's just hilarious to me as well is that one of the, one of the people that believes uh, that Jesus was not only God but had risen from the grave was Jesus' own brother, James. Now, how many of you have an older brother? I have an older brother. How many of you have a younger sibling, brother or sister? Yeah? You, you got siblings? Okay. Let me ask you a question. What would they have to do to convince you that they were God? Now, I love my older brother, 
but he ain't God. I know it. But yet, James believed that his older brother was God. What would it take to convince him of that other than the reality that he was? And so this belief in resurrection that we have, it's very reasonable. It's a reasonable belief. Amen? So I want to let you know that this concept of resurrection, this concept of Easter, it changes everything. And I want to give you three things that Easter changes. Now, Easter changes these things, but it only changes these things if you let it. It only changes uh, these things uh, if you let your heart receive the reality of who God is and what he's done. Okay? And so I'm going to share with you these three things that Easter changes. And I encourage you to ask yourself, am I allowing the resurrection of Jesus to change these things in my life? Here's the first one. Okay? Easter changes our understanding of God. Easter changes our understanding of who God is. You know, when Jesus came to the earth and Jesus said, I am God, Jesus came on behalf of, of, uh, as a representative of heaven. He said, I am God and I represent all that God is. In that moment, God was no longer unknowable. You know, the, the concept of God is kind of intimidating, isn't it? This big guy up there somewhere. Maybe you grew up and, and you know, God was the lightning bolt thrower, right? You, you imagine him as the one who's like angry at people and throwing lightning bolts or whatever. Um, oh, and we even still, have you ever heard someone refer to God as the big man upstairs? Right? What does that even, upstairs, what does it even mean, the big man? Like, has he been overeating? What are, we, what are we talking about here? You know, fee-fi-fo-fum? I mean, what are we doing here with the big man upstairs? So, like, he kind of seems unknowable, right? But here's the thing. With Jesus coming to the earth and dying and resurrecting, it tells us a lot about who God is. Colossians 1.15 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He gives you a perfect imprint of what it says in another part of Scripture in Hebrews. Christ is the perfect imprint of God. All right, So you can know what he's like. Verses 19 and 20 say this of Colossians 1. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, Christ, God reconciled everything to himself... He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. You're part of everything. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm part of everything. You're part of everything. So that means God reconciled everything, you, to himself. All right? To himself. Jesus, I like to think of it this way. Jesus is God up close. Jesus has got up close and personal. And so we can know what God is like because of what happened in the life of Jesus. With how we lived, how we died, and how he was resurrected. Amen? Amen. This is also cool too. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, it says, God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Jesus from the dead. It's only by God's grace you've been saved. So here's something interesting. So Easter shows us, the resurrection of Jesus shows us that that God is good. 
That, that, that God is not to be, um, you fear him, but you're not afraid of him. That, that, that Easter changes the understanding that we have of God. He's good. He is love. He's love. You know, it's interesting. In all the other world religions, you have this similar concept. Imagine like a big old mountain like Mount Everest. And at the top of the mountain is God, and he sits on top, and he's holy. And, and here you are, puny human, at the bottom of the mountain, and you're looking up, and you're like, I could never get up there. But still you climb, you begin to climb, and you pray, and you read your Bible, and, and maybe certain religions, you know, you, you bow a certain amount of times a day facing a certain city, and, and maybe there's an eightfold path that you're desperately trying to follow, and all these things are going to make God happy with you, and, and eventually you can ascend that mountain up to where God is. Well, here's what's unique about Christianity, about, about who Jesus is and what he demonstrates. Well, all the other religions have man climbing up the mountain to, to reach God. Christianity shows us that God came down off the mountain to meet with us where we are. And he says, look, you can't do this without me. So I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to get rid of your sin, I'm going to get rid of your shame and your guilt, I'm going to get rid of all the stuff that you can't do, and then I'm going to take you by the hand in relationship, and we're going to go up this thing together using my power. That's how what we believe is different than what others believe, and it, and it, it sheds a light on who God is. He is good and he is love, amen? amen? Here's the other thing Easter changes, not just our understanding of God, but it changes how we relate to others. Easter changes how we relate to other people. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't always get along with everyone. Everyone doesn't always do things that I think are okay and make me happy. Right? Sometimes people can make me a little mad at times, right? And I have a tendency, as we all do, to say, you know what? Arm's length. Right? I don't want you in my life. This is too painful. Many of you have been hurt by people, and it's been so painful But here's the thing. In light of the cross and the resurrection, we are forced to see others differently. We have to see others differently. Here's why. 1 John 4, 14 says, We have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Not just the Savior of the Jews, although he was. Not just the Savior of the people that I like. Not just the Savior of people who vote like me. Not just the people who can actually drive well and not cut me off in traffic. No, Savior of the world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so through the coming of Christ and the death and the resurrection, we're we're like, oh man, I've got to treat people the way that he treats them. There's no longer a them for us to rally against. Colossians 3.11 is an interesting uh, verse. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Colossians. Now, you've probably heard a similar verse in Galatians. Galatians 3.28 where he says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, but you are all one in Christ. You've heard that before? Okay. He was writing that. Um, he was writing to, to specific people uh, uh, in, in, to the Galatians, and he he purposely added in male and female uh, because that was an area where the the ladies needed to know that they were equal parts 
in God's gifts of the kingdom of God. Okay? They needed to understand that. But here in, in Coloss, it was a Greek area, and the women were large and in charge. And so there was no need, there was no wondering if the kingdom of God was offered equally to women as to men. So he left it out of this one because Paul changed what he wrote to the, to the different churches that he wrote to. And he adds in a different group. And so Colossians 3.11, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, that's Jew or Gentile, barbarian or Scythian, what? Slave or free, but Christ is all in all. Barbarian. What does that mean, barbarian? You mean like Conan, the barbarian? What, what's, he, what's he talking about, right? Well, he, this, is what, this is what he meant. Um, the word barbarian, it, it meant foreigner. Uh, and it was a derogatory term used to describe uh, people that weren't a part of your country, particularly those that were uneducated and uncultured. You may, you may know some of those people. They may live in your house. <laughs> I got a few uncultured people in my house as well. Um, so, so, now don't start calling each other barbarians, but, but this, it, it's, it's, it's when you look down on those that are not like you. That was barbarian. If that wasn't enough of a stretch of the type of people that you're supposed to love, that Jesus included on the, Christ, uh, on the cross, he also included Scythians. Now, don't think the Siths from Star Wars. I know some of you are thinking Sith Lords. Okay, that's, not, that's, that's in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> this Scythian, all right, it is a specific people group that they all knew. This is going to sound familiar to you. The Scythians were from what we now know in modern days, Iran. They were savages. They were known for their violence. Uh, they, were, they were equestrians, so they rode on horses. Okay? Um, they were herdsmen. Uh, they were skilled archers. They were known for, for shooting with bows and arrows. Okay? And they often worked as mercenaries. That's for hire soldiers. So they would do anything for money. right? Or slave traders. They were the bandits that would steal people and sell them off. The Jews weren't even allowed to go to a, sl- a slave auction according to their law. But these people, these, these were the worst of the worst. Now, so Paul is saying there's neither, you know, those foreigners you don't like. There's neither them, nor are they, is there the worst of the worst anymore. Jesus died for them. For, for me, I, I read this, I think of Muslim terrorists. I'm like, oh man, God, really? Do you, you really love them too? Here's the thing. When Christ died, he died once and for all. Once and for all. Now, that doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean that their sin is okay, but that means that they still bear the image of God. It's interesting, at the end of this verse, it says, but Christ, uh, but Christ is all in all. I like the way the King James Version says it. It says, Christ is all and in all. All and in all. So a way that you could read this is Christ is everything and in everyone. Christ is, listen, everything and in everyone. All right? And in everyone. Amen, sister. I received that. So Christ is everything and in everyone. So that's why you see in our walls over here, belong, believe, and become. Right? Belong, believe, and become. We put belong first. 
We put belong first on purpose. Why? Because you belong. You belong. Even if, even if you don't believe everything we believe, you already belong here. Even if you haven't become who God's called you to be yet, you belong here. Because this is the pattern we see in Scripture. So Easter not only changes our understanding of God, it changes how we relate to others. Thirdly, Easter changes how we perceive ourselves. Easter changes how we are to perceive ourselves, who we are. When you look at the death and resurrection of Jesus on your behalf, you are forced to deal with the reality that you are the object of God's affection. He did it for you. He did it for you. And that means that the way that you treat yourself is in keeping with who he says you are. You know, one of the things I tell my wife, she likes to run and bike and swim and do all the athletic stuff. And, and many times when she goes out on her bike or when she goes running, I'll tell her, I say, hey, take care of my wife. Why? Because I, I'm reminding her, hey, don't hurt yourself because it's not just you that it hurts. It's me too. And in the same way, the way that we live, if we live in light of Easter, if we live in light of resurrection, we recognize that God loves us. So why would you do something that's going to hurt his kid? Because you're his kid, right? Does that make sense? Um, Think about this for a second. Through the resurrection, Jesus removed the power of death for you. I, I know, just pay attention. It's okay. It's all right. Up here, up here, up here. Y'all have heard babies cry before, I promise. That's what they do. So think about this. I want you to get this. This is important. Jesus removed the power of death so that we could be with him forever. Who would you do that for? Think about that. Think about that. If you were on a, let's forget about forever for a second. If you were on a deserted island and you could choose people to be on that deserted island with you, who would you choose? Would you choose anyone? Or did you just choose a couple books and Netflix? (laughs) Sounds pretty good. Think about it. For the rest of your life, if you could only be around certain people, who would you choose? God chose you. He chose you. He wants you to be with him. Not just the rest of his life. Not just the rest of your life. But forever. That's pretty crazy. Do you realize who you are to him? It's amazing, isn't it? Amen. It's amazing. Um, Romans 5.8 says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He didn't wait for us to be the way he wanted us to be. He said, look, I'm going to go ahead and die for them now and trust that they're going to walk into who I think they are. And so Easter changes your perception of who you are. The resurrection also shows us, now don't miss this, the resurrection also shows us that you are not helpless. You're not helpless in this life. You're not a victim of the world. You now, through the resurrection of Christ, have the power to rise yourself and to walk victorious in this world. You can be victorious over over the hurt, the the unforgiveness that you're being tempted to hold on to and the bitterness and the rage and the anger and all these things. You can overcome all of that. 
You can overcome that because Jesus overcame it for you. I'm going to read Romans 6, 7 through 10. It's going to be in the message version. And so if you don't have that, just listen. The message is a paraphrase of scripture. It's not a full-on translation, but it kind of gets the gist of the passage. It says this. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But alive, he brings God down to us. Remember Mount God? Where God was on the top? Yeah. So through the resurrection, we, you are now empowered. That thing that holds you back, that thing that, that maybe something you've done in the past or the thing you're currently dealing with, look, you have the power to overcome it through the resurrection of Jesus. You are not helpless. His power is available for you today. And so Easter changes how we view ourselves in light of resurrection. I want to share a final verse with you. This is the end of 1 Corinthians 15, which is the resurrection chapter, where Paul is talking about the importance of resurrection. He says this. He says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have victory over sin and death. Now, I love it. It says, death, where is your sting? Now, everyone's afraid of of death, right? I mean, death is one of those things. I mean, it's just, it's weird, right? To cease to exist. But here's the thing. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we don't have to be afraid of death anymore. When you have a loved one that dies and goes on before you, 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 can, you grieve and you mourn, but you don't mourn like someone who has no hope. You, you, you mourn in a different way. You know, I, and, and I've used this example before, but, it, but it, it does a good job of explaining. So I am like irrationally afraid of stinging insects, like flying, stinging insects. I don't think it's fair that they can fly. They can already sting. <laughs> I feel like that's an unfair advantage. Now, I've been stung by yellow jackets before, and I mean, it hurt, but whatever, it went away. But I still have this, like, irrational fear. And, like, someone can be talking to me and, like, bearing their soul and crying. And, like, a bee starts buzzing around. I'm like, I'm out. Like, God will help you with that. Like, you know, call me when I'm inside. I I don't know what it is. And wasps and hornets and bees and all these things, they really kind of freak me out. If you want to see a pudgy preacher run... Just, just watch. And here's the thing, and, and I hope this doesn't offend anyone, or I hope PETA didn't got, doesn't get onto me, but I really like killing wasps. Like, it really makes me happy. Like, I love that spectricide stuff, the 27-foot spray. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, like, getting far away from them, like, pacing 27 feet. And then you, know, you spray them, and then if you've ever seen it, <laughs> the, the wasp will, like, curl up, you know. I'm like, yes, I like that. I want you in pain. <laughs> Maybe that makes me a terrible person. But it is what it is. I just, I really like killing those things. Here's the thing. We were in the mountains as a family once, and I was sitting on the back porch, and a carpenter bee, actually there were a lot of carpenter bees that were around the cabin. 
But I knew they were carpenter bees, and I wasn't afraid. Do you know why? Carpenter bees don't have stingers. Now, the females still do, ladies. <laughs> but they won't sting you. Now, you've got to do something really, really bad, okay, for them to sting you. But the men don't even have stingers, the, the males. And so, um, so here I was on a back porch. Normally, I would be running and going inside. And, and the bees were flying around me. I'm like, what's up, guys? I wasn't afraid. Why? There was no sting. In the same way, the resurrection of Jesus has taken away the sting of death. You don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to worry. You are, you are entrusting your life into a God who knows you and loves you, and you can trust is going to take care of you. Amen. Okay? There's no more sting anymore. You don't have to be afraid. I just want to release you from that. If you're afraid of the future, if you're afraid of death, if you're afraid of what's coming next, you don't have to be afraid. You serve a God that loves you and that knows you. Here's the deal. In closing, I want to let you know, you know, this scripture says, sin is the sting that results in death. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's me. That's you. That's any TV preacher you've ever seen. It's everyone. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's even some worse news in Romans 6.23. It says, but the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And here comes the good news. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Here's the deal. I want you to understand this, okay? Sin has a price tag. It's got a price tag. It costs a lot. As a matter of fact, it costs your life. The wages of sin, the cost of sin is death. And we've all committed sin, so we all have a hefty price tag, don't we, to pay. And it's not like credit cards where you can throw a little bit at it and hope it goes away over time. It's a debt that you don't have enough money to pay. But here's the thing. Jesus wants to pay the price for you. Here's what's sad. Hell is full of people who needlessly wanted to pay their own bill. If you're trying to pay your own bill this morning, if you're trying to be good enough to earn your way to heaven, I'm sorry, you don't have that kind of cash. You just don't have it. But Jesus did. And he's offering to pay it for you. You don't needlessly need to be apart from him for eternity. You can be with him. And my question to you this morning is this. Has Easter changed your life? Is it just a day where we get dressed up and, and sing resurrection songs and go hunt for Easter eggs or whatever we do? Or ha- have you let it actually change who you are? Because if you'll let it, Easter will change your perception of who God is. It'll change your perception of who other people are. And it will change your perception of who you are. But you have to make the choice if you're going to let it change your life. Let's stand for prayer. I like to internalize our messages and just do some business, talk to God. So if you will, close your eyes. I'm not going to hold you very long. 
But I'm going to ask you to ask the Lord this question just in your own mind right now. Ask him, say, Holy Spirit, has Easter changed my life? Has the resurrection of Jesus changed me? Has it changed how I interact with you, God? Has it changed how I relate to people? Has it changed how I see myself? Just stay quiet and ask him. As you're still asking yourself this question, I want to ask you another question. Do you know that you know that the sting of death has been removed for you? You've got a massive charge against you, and it's the bill for sin. Have you allowed Jesus to be Lord of your life? He's come down the mountain for you, and he's wanting you to walk back up with him in his power, but it's got to be done in relationship with him. You can't do it apart from him. Have you made Jesus Lord? That word means boss. Is he in charge of your life? Is there a point in time where you can look back and say, I made Jesus the boss of my life? Or are you going to be one of those that are needlessly paying their own bill for eternity? If you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, this would be an awesome day to do it. Because this is the day that we celebrate the thing that makes us able, the resurrection of Jesus, to receive his pardon on our behalf. If you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to call you up front. But I do want you to acknowledge it. Just raise your hand to him and we're going to lead you in prayer. We'll give you instructions in a little bit. But if you've never made him Lord, it's time to get right with him. It's time to let him pay that bill. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Worship you, Lord. I want to lead everyone in a prayer. If you will, this is a prayer where you're going to allow the reality of resurrection, the reality of Easter to change everything for you. I'm going to supply the words, but it's your prayer. So if you will, pray this after me. Say, Father, thank you for sending your son on my behalf. I receive his sacrifice, and I let him pay my bill. Right now, I choose to let Easter change my understanding of who God is. To let it change how I relate to others. And to let it change how I perceive myself. Lord, let your resurrection power work in me. My life is yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Happy Easter, everyone.